This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. I want to take a minute to let you know all about a brand new contest put on by my friend, Bello Cipriani, who you heard in episode 114 telling us all about queerness, blindness, and disability. Well, he started a publishing company a while back called Ola Books, and they are committed to amplifying the stories of disabled writers. This year, in partnership with Pen to Paper, an international creative writing competition with the Coalition of Texans with Disabilities, Oleb Books has announced a new award for disabled writers, the Oleb Books Personal Essay Award. For this inaugural award, the team has chosen the theme of disabled parents. Now, I know there are so many disabled parents out there with something to say and a story to tell. What are the challenges of being disabled and raising a kid? What is disabled pregnancy like? Could you be a disabled mom or dad, or neither, or both? And so much more. Winners of this contest will receive $50 and have their essay featured in an anthology published by Ola Books and be part of a big national marketing campaign. You can enter the contest by heading over to olebbooks.com contests or you can click on the link in the show notes of today's episode of Disability After Dark. Thanks, friends! Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hello there. Welcome to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your disabled darling and the host of this show. And I am excited to shine a bright light on sex and disability with you today. And I'm actually recording this on the very first day of spring, March 20th. Yeah, spring! So, um, get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get started. Just a couple little housekeeping things that I want to let you know about. I, first of all, need to tell you some exciting news. Coming very soon, Disability After Dark is going to be joining forces with Podcast Jukebox Network, which hosts great shows like Off the Cuffs and Being There, as well as Queers Next Door. Disability After Dark will be joining the podcast Jukebox family, and I am so excited for this this joining of forces. It's really great when indie podcasts can work together, and I just reached out to them and said, I want to be on your network, and they said, we love your stuff, and so it's a match made in heaven. So soon... At the beginning of every show, you'll hear the podcast ju- podcast jukebox 
intro and then the cripple content intro will still play but we're joining forces so yay other big disability after dark news i want to share i decided to change the patreon uh the patreon link to donate because people were having trouble getting there and telling me that they were having trouble so just to make it easier for everybody the new the new Patreon link if you want to pledge a dollar a month to the show and get the sh get shows early and bonus content like that, you can now pledge to simply patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. It's just easier that way and then people won't get lost going there. It's all going to be streamlined into one big thing. So patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Hey there, also want to let you know that the shirts for Disabled People Are Hot are now available and I want to let you know where you can order one if you want to. You can go to store.podcastjukebox.com. You can click on the hashtag Disabled People Are Hot link and it will take you right there to order a shirt. You can get t-shirts in white or black for $19.99 US dollars or you can get tank tops for $23.99 US dollars. And if you get a shirt, I'm going to use the money to go right back into the podcast and right back into cool projects to ensure we have disability visibility all over the place. So it would be great if you got a shirt and show the world that, yes, in fact, disabled people are hot. I just want to give a quick shout out also to James Gordon before I forget for pledging $1 a month to the Patreon. I don't have any sexy puns for you. I tried with your name a bunch of times. Couldn't come up with something funny or sexy. So James, want to say thank you for the pledge. And if you want to pledge and have me give you a shout out on the air, well, it's now patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. But now I'm done rambling and I'm going to get to the content of today's show because it's super fun and my guest is awesome and I can't wait to share that with you. On the show today, my guest is nationally recognized health and sexuality writer, media personality, host and creator of Girl Boner and Girl Boner Radio, August McLaughlin. We had such a fun conversation. She actually reached out to me and said, I want to have you on my show and... I said, cool. And then she said, actually, we DM'd on Twitter and she said, actually, well, I live with ADHD and I'd love to come on your show and talk to you about sex. Do you consider ADHD to be a disability? And I said, if you, if I said, of course I do. If you want to come on the show, that's great. So we had a really interesting conversation about how ADHD affects her view of her body, her view of herself, her view of her mind, her view of sexuality, how sex and disability and ADHD all go together for her. She talks about eating disorders and anorexia in Paris when she was a model and how many models she believes could also be living with ADHD. And so there are definitely some trigger warnings there, some content warnings. If you're uncomfortable talking about that stuff, you can skip ahead those parts. But I just want to let you know that's, that's a part of our conversation. We had a really fun time. She's super honest and super real about her experience. And I'm so excited for you to hear how ADHD, sex, and disability go together in this episode. And that's what we did. We also had a good laugh. There's a whole bunch of times where I tried to say her name and I failed miserably. We, so we had a good time joking around and playing. She's really great. And I'm excited to 
bring this one to you, and I'm rambling on, so I'm going to shut up, and I, we're going to play the interview right now on Disability After Dark. August McLaughlin. What? <laughs> Fuck that right up from the top. No, that was like my favorite way of pronouncing it, actually. I'm going to try that I again. I hear so gonna... many ways. Yeah, and that was cool. I'm going to try it again and leave this. I'm going to leave this in because it's hilarious. <laughs> August McLaughlin. <laughs> I'm just going to say, hey, all right. I'm not going to say your last name because whatever. Hi, August. Hey. How are you? I'm so well, Andrew. Thank you. You just turned me into like Madonna and Oprah to be just August. I, I mean, like you should just, there you go. <laughs> Um, welcome to Disability After Dark. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I'm so inspired by your work and so appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you. It's so awesome. I know what you do and I gave the audience a little bit of a primer of who you are. But please, introduce yourself to the Disability After Dark audience and yeah, we'll go from there. Hey everybody, I'm a health and sexuality writer. I'm based in the Los Angeles area. And I spent a lot of time talking about pleasure and uh, have been listening to this podcast. So I'm really excited to, to be a part. Wow, that's awesome. And you, one of the things that I loved about how we approach each other was you, I think you approached me and said, I want to have you on my show. And then I was like, great, well, that's awesome. And then you were like, actually, I have a thing I want to talk about on your show. So... And you, you said that you want to talk about ADHD, which is something I think that many of us deal with, but a lot of us don't connect ADHD to sexuality. And when you sent me your filled out questionnaire, I was like, wow, this is stuff that I never considered before. And this is a great topic. So I'm excited to have you on. Thank you for that. I felt very seen as soon as you said, yeah, let's do this, because it's not something that I have felt... Sometimes I feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about it in public spheres because there's so much stigma that I feel like people insta instantly like don't believe me or have all these misperceptions in their head. And I've become more and more comfortable, especially because I've gone through times of kind of letting the stigma get to me so much that it was very devastating in my own life. And to go through that and to now feel very, I feel proud of who I am and I feel I love my brain and certainly I've had some significant issues, but having this space that feels so safe and welcoming is is wonderful. And so, and I'm I'm just so happy to to be able to talk about it because again, we don't do it enough. But I'm curious because when I hear ADHD, I think I'm I allow my own ignorance to kind of cloud that label, and I think okay, that means you have trouble processing. That means you may have hyperactivity. That maybe means you can't sit still. Like I'm picturing what we learned in like when we were kids about what ADHD is, which means you run around and you can't relax. Is that is that what we're talking about or is it something more nuanced than that? That can be a huge part of it for sure. And it certainly is a part of my experience. Uh, but there are three main types. There's primarily uh, the inactivity, more um, kind of like spaciness and distraction. And then there's the predominantly hyperactive, can't sit still. And then there's the combination type. And I have the combination type. So when I was really small, I was very hyperactive, uh, like would barely sleep when I was little. I never took naps. I had restless leg syndrome. These are things that looking back I see. But growing up, I was just like, ah, this is me. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so there and there are a lot of misperceptions about it. People think that it's 
that you have a very short attention span. But actually, it's generally an inability to direct your attention, like to decide where it goes, because many people with ADHD can also hyper-focus. And that is the case for me. When my ADHD was untreated, I had a really hard time deciding when I would hyper-focus versus not. So I would get so focused on something for very long periods of time that pulling me away from it felt painful. Um, so that is a lot of attention. Like that's not a short attention span, right? Yeah, yeah. So not just that, yeah. And I mean, that's something that I honestly didn't know. Because again, when I thought of it, when I first heard you say ADHD, I was like, cool, so our conversation is going to be about how she can't focus on things. But I'm learning, I learned now that it's actually a combination of the two, which makes the whole thing misleading and makes the way that the society has categorized that kind of wrong. It really does. And it's one of the reasons there's so much stigma and misperception is that people say, oh, everybody has it. And that always, it's like nails on a chalkboard when I hear that because they say, well, the internet has made everybody have ADHD because nobody can pay attention for more than 30 seconds or whatever. That's not what ADHD is. And saying that really minimizes the experience of people who have, have really struggled to thrive in a, in a culture with or without internet access. You know, it's, it's a very, very different thing than simply feeling like, oh, a squirrel. <laughs> you know, that's what we usually hear. Yeah, like the dog in that up movie and he can't, he sees a squirrel only once, like, go play with it, yeah. But, and I also, that just, that also, like, minimize, yeah, it does totally minimize what you're going through. Um, and not, it's totally not the same thing, but I tried the other day, I took, I took a anti-anxiety pill and I was kind of spacey, so I can, I can appreciate that feeling and I couldn't imagine having that as part of your day like without any medication, just part of your day. This is how you're going to feel today. I can't imagine how that would feel. Mm, yeah. Interestingly, I started to experience that part of ADHD with puberty, which also doesn't get a lot of kind of attention. It's the impact that hormones have on ADHD. So I went from being very, very, very hyperactive and could think really well when I was like moving constantly. Um, but I had like pain from boredom. If I if I had to sit still, I felt like I was going to crawl out of my skin. Then puberty set in, and you hear that all these changes are supposed to happen. So I was like, oh, this is this is the grossness of puberty. Is I started to I, I described it as like I fell into the back of my brain, where you're kind of trying to get out of this cloud and you can't. So I'd go through periods of not being able to sit still and feeling very frantic and impulsive. And then these other periods where I just could not get my thoughts and my focus to the front of my head. Um, and that was really devastating because from a self-esteem standpoint, especially at that age when you're you know, pre-teens or into high school, having that, I thought I was really stupid. Yeah. I had been tested as gifted when I was about eight. And so that was shortly before. And I started to think that there was a mistake in that test and people are, were someday going to realize how stupid I was. And it was really devastating. I could not, could not focus whatsoever in math classes, in social studies classes. Um, but then in a writing creative class or music class, I was like fully alive. Um, but nobody saw it in, in me and you know, it, it was very hidden, I think, but then also 
it tends to be underdiagnosed in in girls. People expect it, I don't know, to be more in guys, but I think maybe that's because there's been more research there. And also probably because because typically like guys are supposed to be more active and they're supposed to be more run around a lot more and so it makes sense that they would have it because they're active and running around and girls are supposed to be like the thinker which is totally gendered and ridiculous and really not true at all but yeah yeah you're so right especially at the time when it was coming up for you like 20 some odd years ago that's what we thought yeah yeah it's true i don't think i'd even heard of it or people would call it add it's actually now all of it is called adhd but then there are these subtypes and i was never you know tested for anything or nobody ever suspected i just what happened to me was this inability to focus and concentrate and my my self-esteem plummeting played a huge role in my sense of self and my body image so i felt i I developed body dysmorphia like a real deep sense of unattractiveness at a time where i wanted that attention too so it i would hyper focus on wanting male attention at that time i was just like i wanted the validation but i also i wanted a boy to be interested in me and that is literally all i would think about in those classes when i couldn't focus that sounds like me all the time today (laughs) there you go so yeah a lot of people do relate to that um but yeah it took me a long time to, to figure things out and also because you know adhd is not a visible disability it's not something we see so you could be having all these like that's how I felt the other day when I took that anti-anxiety pill. I was like, no one can see that I'm struggling with this. I mean, again, totally not the same thing, but similar in that, like, you you have this brain fog, and how do you... how, how I, For the whole... I took it on Friday, and I, I finally came down on Sunday, and for 48 hours, I was like, I don't know how to feel... I don't know what I'm feeling. I know things are happening. Like, so I can imagine that every day as a teenager trying to trying to be okay and not having any language to say like I don't feel okay but I can't say that because it's not cool to say I think I something's wrong I can't imagine oh totally yeah that is exactly very analogous to that I mean if I had said anything it probably would have been something like I realized I'm really dumb you know and there's so much shame around that right because I'm thinking what am I going to do with my life I, I had always had a lot of passion which one of the positive things about ADHD and that kind of neurodiversity is you tend to have a lot of kind of gumption, but I had no idea where to put it. And as I became more and more into the spaciness side of, of ADHD, I felt like, how am I ever going to make something of my life? I just, what I longed for a purpose and I just felt I couldn't even you know, begin to get there because how am I even going to graduate high school? I started to just not go to classes. Like, I don't know how I graduated, to be honest, Um, but I did somehow. Uh, But I literally would just not go. Like, I would be in school and then I'm like, I I, I either couldn't handle it because I was so bored that it hurt or I was so insecure about the fact that I couldn't even follow one sentence. The teacher would be talking about some math thing and I'm on Neptune. Like I could not, and I couldn't read sitting still. It took me a long time to realize that about myself. And it's better now um, because of medication and some lifestyle changes. I can read okay sitting still, but I read a hundred times better while I'm moving. 
So I have to like, if I need to read a whole book really quickly, I have to go to the gym and like my butt hurts for days. Put it I'm on like, the Olympic <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. and again, these are things you don't, when I, when you first brought this to me, this is none of the stuff that I consider, but now it totally makes sense. Totally yeah. makes sense. Um, one of the things you said in your, in your questionnaire to me that I love right away was you, what, there have been times when sex was the only way you could escape kind of the ADHD part of your brain. Can you talk more about that? Oh my gosh. Yes. Definitely the best part of my teen years <laughs> was discovering sex. <laughs> um, and moving forward forever probably but um, yeah it especially in that state because my body the rest of my body was you know it's, it's a brain thing so the rest of my body could still feel pleasure and get turned on and all this stuff and so I part of the boy craziness was also this desire for that connection and as I started to have the physical connection and experienced you know intense sexual pleasure and orgasm and all of that it was just so intoxicating because it literally was the only time, other than probably when I was performing because the arts were really big for me, so like singing and stuff like that, the only other time that I could kind of get away from my own monkey brain or whatever you want to call it, like all the blah, 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 blah in the head was during sex. And that escape was so medicinal. And on top of all of that, I had been raised with, the kind of shame that a lot of people have around sexuality, especially girls and especially if you're kind of a, quote, good girl. And I was raised in a religious community, so I was taught that masturbation is a sin, and I had not masturbated. Now, if I had learned about masturbation in sex ed or anywhere else besides negative messages, I think I would have had a much better time. It wouldn't have cured anything. It's not a curative thing that you're seeking. It's management and just how can I thrive. Yeah. Uh, but that was and remains a really important part of the, the self-care of it for me. I mean, and that, like it just, I think masturbation is something that I've lost the ability to do over the last couple of years because of my muscles in my hands. And so I miss being able to just jerk off when I like, and I can't imagine being a young person and being told that that was a sin. Like, I was not raised in that kind of religious home. So, like, to have that weight of, like, because can you imagine if you were able to do that, maybe it would have quieted some of your, like, ADHD brain that was telling you certain things. Maybe you could have, because I know people, people, some people with other disabilities and sensory stuff use masturbation as a way to meditate, as a way to, like, calm down everything. So that could have totally helped you. Oh, it totally could have helped me. It could have helped me, and it also would have provided a self-esteem and confidence boost in my body and in myself. And I think that that release and that, because I didn't even know I had shame around sexuality. You know, I just thought, oh, I know this is supposed to be, quote, bad. <laughs> I just didn't, you know, you don't realize it till later. But it that alone, I think, would have helped so much with my own sense of self and body image that I probably wouldn't have developed the eating disorder that I did, which became very, very, very serious after high school. So, you know, I just think the, the more that we can educate young people and say, you know, this is a natural thing, <laughs> just that simple sentence would have been life-changing. And I mean, if, you know, people that looked at ADHD and looked at, like, neurodiverse things could see sexuality as a part of a therapeutic practice, that could change things too. Like they don't, they don't do that because sex is 
sex is for procreation and nothing else, right? Which is weird, right. which is not true at all, but that's what people yeah. think. So, but if, like, if OTs and PTs and doctors and teams would realize that it's a getting pleasure calms you down, it's like, why is that so hard to... Yeah, it even just to mention it, right? Because it is very compartmentalized. Like, if you go to a sex therapist, they will probably talk about that. Yeah. But if you go to a general therapist, they're not going to just jump into masturbation unless you bring it up, right? So it should be something that doctors and other healthcare providers ask about, even if it's just, how do you feel about your sexuality? Because through my eating disorder treatment, nobody asked about it either, but they asked about every other facet of life. And embracing my sexuality was the, one of the biggest things that helped me heal from the eating disorder even before, because I wasn't diagnosed until much later with ADHD. Um, so it would have been just a, a game changer for sure. Yeah, if you had ADHD as a tool for yourself, then maybe I'll like, so do you, are you angry that it wasn't talked about before? Like, because you had to go through all that stuff with the eating disorder and you had to go through all these things and you didn't, again, didn't have a diagnosis and you had to like, it's just upsetting that if, if your disability had been brought to light to you, maybe that you wouldn't have had to go through all that. You know, I did go through a really, like a grieving process almost, grieving the life I would have had all of those years because it was, I was diagnosed at 30. So there was so much turbulence in my life and also a lot of wonder. Like there were many good things, but it's impossible to, once you're diagnosed, it was weird because it was so empowering to have the diagnosis and to like understand, oh, like this is why I function the way I do. And on the flip side, I'm like heartbroken because I'm thinking, man, all that suffering wouldn't have happened. Now, I, I'm grateful for my path because it really led to my work with Girl Boner, which is like my whole life now. Um, my, my writing career and all my advocacy is inspired by that journey. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. But certainly there was a time and I had to let myself be angry and be like, that is not okay <laughs> um, to, to experience that and to, to feel so alone. Because what happened to me was without treating ADHD, it, it led to first depression and then the depression led to the eating disorder, which is pretty common. Sometimes people have coexisting diagnoses. As you mentioned, you might have other disabilities or conditions and ADHD. For me, I, so my mom actually took me to see um, a doctor when I was in high school, which to her credit is amazing because she was concerned about my emotional wellness. And the doctor tried to treat me with antidepressants and that made my ADHD worse. So, yeah. you know, it's um, for me to just like the depression got so, so dark. And those are the times that I, I would have loved to at least shrink them down. <laughs> you know, I value that experience, but um, there's nothing quite like that, that darkness. No, and I've, I've been there. I, I, I live with depression, too, so I understand exactly what that feels like. You're like, I don't, I don't want to do anything, but I want to do something, but I can't. It's, a, it's, a t it's a definitely a tough road, but having a disability community and having being able to say I have CP and I'm a disabled person is a way for me to be like, okay, I can use my depression to get out of this hole and do this. And so I just feel like I wish for you that back in the day, you could have, they could have said you have ADHD. Does it mean you're this? And maybe it would have shifted things for you. But although, I mean, 
the, the brand you've created for yourself out of that is fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful and very happy to be where I am. But I also <laughs> went through, like I was, so I was diagnosed at 30 and then a few years ago, it's like 2016, for basically almost a year, I went off my medication because I, <laughs> it's looking back, I'm just like, what were you even thinking? But <laughs> I, <laughs> I had thought, because I could meditate for the first time in my entire life. So I'm like thinking, oh, maybe I improved my brain through meditation because there's all these studies that show, you know, yeah. the brain benefits. And I had gone to some meditation training and there was a teacher who told me that taking stimulant medications, which are very calming for me, by the way, um, that they inhibit your ability to grow and thrive in meditation. And even though I was skeptical of what she was saying, part of me was like, oh, maybe she's right. And then I noticed I could read sitting still better. And I'm like, huh. So maybe I, I've kind of outgrown my need for medicine. So then I went, I, I tried to be very responsible about it. And I went to see my psychiatrist. And he's like, sure, you can go off of it. Um, which, you know, looking back, I'm like, Ugh. Uh, that was probably, it was not a good idea on my part. It also was not helpful on his part. Um, I mean, he, and, it sounds like he yeah. was really flipping about like, sure, whatever, don't. Yeah, basically. I mean, he said there's no, you, you know, it's not something that you need to be super careful about weaning off of because it doesn't stay in your system, blah, 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 that blah. That doesn't feel like, that doesn't feel like, but even the, the doctor the other day, then when I, when I tried the anxiety thing, was like, oh yeah, I just try. And the minute I took it, I was like, how are they so how are they so flipping about this stuff? Like this literally changes your brain chemistry and makes it like, I felt loopy for 48 hours. How is the doctor just like, oh, you might feel something, you might not. Like, I felt everything. It was completely, so they need, I think doctors need to like, if you're going to prescribe this, take it for a day and then feel what I feel and then come back to me and say, <laughs> give me a proper yeah. diagnosis. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're going off of something, I think more follow-ups. He basically said, you know, if you need to come back, come in. Like, if you need to, then just come back in. And I, I just, because at first, you know, it takes a while for it to worsen enough to a state where, like, I eventually I got into that dark depression again. Yeah. But at first, <laughs> part of my mistake was I went off the medication around Christmas, and I'm very hyper excited about Christmas. So I kind of was, like, distracted by that. And then all these things started happening because, you know, and it's a familiar state for me because I had it for so many years it wasn't abnormal for me to have all these thoughts running through my head all the time. And yeah. I was still, you know, productive, but I was making all these weird mistakes. I was getting lost so much more often. Um, it, it just gradually became so debilitating that I was thinking about death a lot. I was getting very paranoid about death. Um, I was crying a lot. Um, good things would happen. I would feel no pleasure. My sex drive went very far down. Um, I felt very disconnected from my body. I started to have the body image issues again. And I just started like, interestingly, because when you're in that state, my brain was not functioning at a good place. So I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it's like the, the brain that needed to help me figure this out was not accessible to me. <laughs> so um, I did. So I started to like, I'm like, I need to, there's, I know something's wrong. So then I went to my nurse practitioner 
and I told her what had happened, like how I'd been feeling. And I got lost three times going to her office, by the way, uh, arrived crying, uh, was telling her all these things. And she said, well, maybe it's early menopause. And I'm like thinking, that doesn't feel right to me. Um, I told her I went off my medication for ADHD and was meditating instead. And she was like, oh, that's great. Um, so so, so I, nobody, there was was no... like, nobody was like, hey, hang on a minute. No, nobody was. And here's the other thing, Andrew. I I said I was meditating. From the time I stopped taking the medication, not able to meditate. But I didn't even really notice. I was just like, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I couldn't even do it for five minutes. I stopped being able to read. Like, all the things came back. All the things came back. But you were using meditation as your, like, your reason to, like, I'm meditating, so it's fine. Yeah, I would say that, but I wasn't doing it. Like, it, and it, it, it's not like I was intentionally lying. I, I, my intention was to meditate. But intentions, when you have ADHD, they don't always go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Saying that you're going to do it and actually doing yeah. it are two very different things. Same with, totally. de- same with depression. You can say you're going to do it, but until you actually do it, you're not doing it. Exactly. Yeah, so true. Um, I want to talk a bit about your – because. In the questionnaire, you also mentioned that you did some modeling in Paris, which is awesome. I love Paris. Um, and I'm curious because, like, do you think that a lot of people who do, who work in the modeling industry have ADHD? And do you think that, like, these kind of invisible disabilities are something we should talk more about in, in fashion and modeling and stuff like that? I mean, I know disability generally should be talked about, and we, I want to see more wheelchair users on the runway and all that kind of stuff, but I think... It would be really cool to highlight invisible disabilities on the runway too. What an excellent question. Thank you for asking that. It's interesting. I think certainly, and this isn't the case for everyone, but of course insecurity and body image issues lead a lot of people into fashion. There are yeah. people who love fashion, they're super into it, they should, you know, they're great. That they should be doing that. In my experience, you know, I started modeling as a teenager. I was living in New York modeling with like one of the world's top agencies at 18 when I'm, I think I'm very mature, but I'm like a baby, right? And so you're in uh, the throes of like having ADHD yeah. and not knowing it too. Oh, completely. Yeah. And so I could hyper-focus on, it was really weird is I could stand still because I was so into the modeling and I was so hyper-focused on my career. But the, one of the problems with that is my hyper-focus went into starving myself and also my work which there's a fine line when you're modeling between starving yourself and your profession, right? Yeah, it's yeah, validated. Yeah. Like you're making more money because of that. And so um, I wouldn't be surprised if there are uh, quite a few models who do struggle with ADHD. I know that a lot of people in modeling and fashion struggle with eating disorders and there is a correlation between eating disorders and ADHD. Yeah, definitely. And so I, I just, I would love to see, because Right now, what's happening in the fashion industry is everybody wants to have their token disabled person on the runway. So what we're seeing a lot of, what I'm seeing a lot of when I look at fashion stuff, and I'm going to do a whole episode on this eventually, is looking at like disabled people in their wheelchairs on the runway. That's great. But I think what we're missing in that is that there are a ton of invisible disabilities like depression, like ADHD, like sensory stuff that could be highlighted through fashion in a way that we're not doing right now. That's such a good point. Yeah. And by tokenizing, it's so, there's so many problems with that, of course. And one is that you kind of feel like people are doing it for, for their own like ability. Yeah. yeah. Like their own brand exposure. Like how cool are you? You have one person with, <laughs> with like, a disability look, or whatever. If the yeah. biggest, if the biggest fashion brand in the world wants to hire me, I'll do it. Sure. No problem. 
because I have no problem tokenizing myself. But I yeah. just think that there's an opportunity for like any models listening who have ADHD come and like we need to talk about that because it's something that we don't talk about enough. And if models are experiencing that, we should talk about it more. I agree. And I think you would rock the runways, by the way. I mean, I know this. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> waiting for somebody to call me. Um, yeah. Tell me about... Uh, some of the ways that ADHD has impacted your sex. So there's the the part about the mindfulness, right? That's a that's a good positive one. And then the when when it's not treated and managed, it can kind of go in both directions. Where either it can feel like compulsive, like you want to be masturbating all the time, or it can be um, a very very low sex drive. And I even found. Because when I got to the depressed state, my body wouldn't get turned on. So I experienced like vaginal dryness and stuff like that. Um, and certainly it affects people in different ways. But I think those are the biggest things. And one thing that's been so empowering about medication, which has so much stigma, especially because I take Adderall or generic form of Adderall. And so many people think of that as something that you abuse. And... Um, or that you just take it to kind of like try to stay awake and be really smart or whatever. And that's completely, not, that's another topic. Um, but when I when I take my medication and I'm taking care of myself in these different lifestyle ways, I've had a lot of therapy, all that stuff, that frees me up to, to embrace my sexuality and express it in ways that just feel so authentic. And I think that's the big difference is like when you take a medication that, that isn't helpful to you, you know, um, like when I took antidepressants, nothing good or it just felt worse yeah when I took Adderall for the first time I took a nap like I fell asleep in the afternoon which I'd never sleep during the day yeah and you just said you don't you never nap so they're like yeah and it was like putting it was like putting glasses on or it was just so freeing and you're like oh and I I was so emotional because to realize oh this is the thing that helps me and then I just so often think about how many people who don't know that they're struggling with that or they don't have access to care. And that just is so devastating because it's it, it affects your relationships in every way, sexually and then also emotionally, you know, trying to connect with a person um, when you can't feel like you can thrive on your own. Yeah, tell me more about, like, the, 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 the desire for connection and, like, not being able to get there. Like, what does that look like? How did that manifest for you? For a while, I think I would sort of chase the rush of, of kind of falling in love and the really passionate honeymoon phase style sex, whatever you want to call it. Like so the, like me every day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, but, but then having a harder time with the in between stage or like the, the, the more kind of quote normal phase when, when the love is not so, all in, all consuming. Yeah. I think that was that was harder for me because I I needed really intense everything. I had an on and off switch and nothing in between. So there were lots of breakups and there were um, and also really intense emotions. A lot of people with ADHD have very very strong emotions and and sometimes can't quite regulate them very well. And so I would go through these bouts of depression out of nowhere and then I'd be in this really hyper stage for a while and. Um, you know, I was tested for like bipolar, all kinds of different things. And it took a long time to figure out what's going on. So 
so one way that it affected my dating life was I had a boyfriend who just he he would not believe that there was anything going on with me that needed any kind of care. He just thought I was an actress at the time. And so he he would say things like that is so typical actress, go get some pills. And it was so oh. hurtful. Yeah. Like, so hurtful. Toxic masculinity <laughs> like right there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was so painful because I'm like thinking I'm trying to get well so that we can be I mean, I should have been trying to get well for myself. Yeah. But at the time, I was trying to get well so that he and I could feel really connected again. Like, I, I felt like we were having all these problems that if I could just fix me because I felt like I'm the broken one. And then for him to say something like that was just so it, – it, it just absolutely crushed me. Um, thankfully, we did not stay together. A dog actually – saved me from that relationship dogs are the <laughs> best dogs are great they are, they are the best i think everyone needs one and they've pets and animals have been a huge therapy for me actually for all of this stuff over the years so my relationship with animals like someone who doesn't judge you <laughs> and who has unconditional and who love loves you because they love you yeah exactly and and someone that i could like take care of who wasn't going to be like What's wrong with you today? Why are you sad? Why are you, Take you know? Some pills. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You pill popper, whatever. They're just like, I'm good with you as long as you're here. As long as you <laughs> feed me and we're, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, so does that like, does that, did you ever, because I know with a lot of disabled people and with myself included, like, did you ever feel like if I can just hide my disability enough, this guy will like me more? That's such a good question. You know, I didn't know what was going on with me. So what what manifested instead was a sense of if I could just not be broken. Like at the time, I sing and play guitar just for fun for myself. And I have all these songs. I haven't been able to write songs for a long time because I'm so happy. I mean, I'm not happy like every day, but I'm so like, you know, it's but you writing. don't have like artist <laughs> angst to write a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I had all these songs and they're all so, every single one is just like, you know, there's some, basically it's, I'm, I'm broken. I don't know how to fix myself, blaming myself for everything. I, I spent decades trying to figure out what was wrong with me. So I did spend a lot of time not trying to like hide per se a disability because I guess that's kind of what I was trying to do, but didn't have the language, but I definitely was trying to seem normal. However, that would be quote unquote normal. I thought if I, if I just, just act like a, a quote normal person because it would even show up in my photos modeling and acting I could see and I still can like if I go back at pictures I, I couldn't book jobs when I was in the depressive state from the ADHD I you could see it on my face it's like you can see when somebody is not connected with themselves it's because the performance piece you have to be emotionally connected like yeah. in the eyes and yeah. all that and it's like there was a, this blankness it was really weird that's why I'm a really crappy model because I <laughs> I connect with things but I'm also like if someone's like give me a serious face I start to laugh because <laughs> I don't think it, it is a, like somebody I remember doing a modeling thing a couple months ago and they're like be serious and I was like I can't I'm, I'm, this is fun I want to laugh like I can't I can't so like I can imagine being depressed and them telling you to be happy and smiling and you're like I know Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Having even any kind of, because for me, modeling was acting without words, which I loved because also ADHD made it very difficult for me to memorize lines. And so 
the performance piece when I was doing high fashion work was so creative for me uh, when I could really be connected to it. Because um, it allowed yeah. for you to like not, you didn't have to speak, but you could do everything with your face or with your body. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah like totally. for me, that that's part of like that's what I as a wheelchair user, I wish that I could do modeling like that because my body is in the chair, right? So you have to be really creative in how you in how you move your body in those certain things. So I, I'm I do get jealous of people who who can model who are not wheelchair users because I want to see like what would that be like if I could do this, but then struggling with like trying to do the pose and not have brain fog I can imagine that was not fun for you sometimes yeah it was hard and to the point that I mean I was so passionate about my career but when I got to Paris finally that's when I was diagnosed with anorexia I I had been aspiring to get to Paris for years and a photographer in Minnesota told me if I lost 10 or 15 pounds I could be modeling in Paris and he was the first person to mention any sort of weight issue and I'd actually been starting to think up to that point that maybe it was all in my head. Like maybe I, maybe I'm not really because I thought I was quote overweight. I no longer see that as a negative thing if it were happening yeah. um, to be larger in size. But at the at the time, I thought that I was quote unquote chubby, and nobody was saying anything about it. But then this photographer from Los Angeles told me, you know, you could modeling in Paris and so that became kind of a goal for me and once I finally got there I was so sick with the eating disorder that I collapsed every now and again when I was running and it happened uh, one particular morning and it was much more intense than it had been previously I was so sick that I was not showing up to castings and I was not caring about shoots and that was just it's like I got to the pinnacle of where I thought this is like the top of, of my where career. you're supposed to be. You're the top of your career, and you can't. You're not. You can't get into it because you're sick. Exactly. Yeah, I was really, really sick. So that was a big, um, a big turning point for me. It still took a long time for me to, to heal. Um, but the, the one of the big red flags was me having this disconnect from anything except for. Like I was almost trying to get rid of myself without realizing it. Like you're starving, but you're, it's not really about weight at all. And I think it's about control and, and yeah. it's like have, and I also have anxiety. So again, not the same thing, but similar on similar lines. It's like, if, if I can control this, I'll be okay. Completely. Yeah, completely. And I couldn't control my, my brain, you know, my thoughts, nothing. I just, if I had been diagnosed with ADHD then, I think I would have been able to It probably would have saved your li- it probably would have saved you a lot of turmoil later in life, but also then you wouldn't be where you are, so it's all it all worked out. Do it you, all worked out. Do you think though, I'm curious, do you think that like that anorexia and bulimia and and things like that should be categorized as a disability? Oh, that's such a good question. They certainly are disabling. Um, you know, I guess I would if if a person wants to call it that, I think that they have absolutely every right to because when you are in that state, you can't function. I mean, um, both anorexia and bulimia, they they strip you of so much. Um, it's very hard to do anything socially. It's very hard to be around food. It's 
uh, when you're dealing with anorexia, you're dealing with the physical effects of starvation too. So yeah. your brain is even less able to function well. So yeah, I mean, I think they're disabling disorders. Absolutely. I'm just thinking in terms of like state help. If you said, if we said anorexia and bulimia is a disability, then maybe there'd be more funding for help. Because what I see right now with people who, who live with that is that they, you know, have to get in all these programs that don't work and the state doesn't want to f help fund them and they, there's no money for it. But if you said it's a disability, maybe there'd be a little bit more. I don't know. It's just something that I was thinking of when you were talking. I love that idea. Yeah, there definitely needs to be more um, accessibility to care um, for, for health care and, and medical treatments. Because a lot of people, one thing that happens is some insurance companies base their care and what they will provide on like things like your body weight. Yeah. And that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> because, you, yeah. You know, your eating disorder, you could be any weight and have a debilitating eating disorder. Um, and it's also like, well, you have to be skinny enough to have insurance that's perpetuating the eating disorder. So, yeah, so many issues there. Like, totally. Yeah. Um, I want to segue into sexy stuff. I don't know how I'm going to segue here, but I'm just going to do it. So, um, tell me about the time you, <laughs> you walked out of a date abruptly in the middle because you were bored. Oh my gosh. These are experiences that looking back, I find them very funny, but although I do also feel, you know, I feel bad that I did these things. It was never out of spite or I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be mean, certainly. But as I mentioned earlier, that inability to deal with boredom, if I didn't connect with a person, I just could not sit there. And at one point, I remember going on a date and we're sitting there chatting and it felt like an hour in, but it was probably like five minutes. I was so bored that <laughs> my eye was like, I could have used an eye drop. So I was trying to find an honest way to say something. And I'm thinking, okay, my eye is a little bit dry. So I... I stepped out and called my dad like I was going to the bathroom and I was like, dad, can you come pick me up? He's like, what's the matter? Like I, you're on a date and like, why do you need, you know? And I was like, I'm really bored. <laughs> and so I was, I just, I just got up and I was like, you know, my eyes are dry. So thank you so much and have a good night. And I just walked away. And yeah, I did that with jobs. I mean, I would just quit a job in the middle of a first day, just walk out. And it was never, I'm trying, you know, I, it's not like I felt entitled. I needed the money, all that stuff. Yeah. I literally couldn't handle it. And I just like, no, <laughs> walk right out. So dating was kind of similar. And so like, so <laughs> did you ever do that during sex? Um, stop in the middle. No, no. Cause sex I would think, activate yeah. the pleasure. Zone. As long as, I mean, cause I'm fortunate in that I've always had pleasurable sex. So if, if it weren't pleasurable or there have, uh, there have been times though, when I feel like it's taking too long. Like I used to have a really hard time with anything that wasn't a quickie when I wasn't on medication. Yeah. Um, and I still love quickies, but I, uh, I've had multiple partners who, and the, the stereotype, right. Is that like cis men really, really want it to last like, forever. Bam, bam, thank you, ma'am or whatever. And that, and that women are just like, I need to take a long time and I want you to kiss my whole body. And I'm just like, could you hurry things up a little bit? Like, get it over with. <laughs> uh, because I wanted the orgasm but I just wanted to like heat it and fast and just go, go, go. And, you know, um, but I, I certainly have gotten to a place where it doesn't need to be so fast. And I like the variety. Well, that, I mean, that part of ADHD might be great for guys who, are, if they have partner, a partner with ADHD, it'd be great for guys who have like, 
premature ejaculation stuff, and they might, that might actually be a selling point. Seriously, yeah, that that could make you quite compatible if you both are like, I want it to be done within five minutes, you know, or I can only last that long. Yeah. I mean, I think and for sure. It, it would take away someone's shame of like, oh, you came too fast. Like, oh, no, you didn't. It was great. Exactly. Um, I just want to ask you about there's something about sensi- your sensitivity to like light and coldness and sounds and stuff with all this. So how does that like, because sex is all about sensory stuff how does that how does adhd affect your sex that way that's a great question yeah so a lot of people with adhd are very sensitive to a lot of different things different senses particular smells um as you mentioned light sensitivity so for me during sex if somebody had like if somebody had bare feet that looked like they might smell they don't actually have to even smell like if there's just a chance that they're, they smell, I will feel ill. <laughs> so that would be kind of a, a buzzkill for me. And it's not anything I rationally have anything against, but it would be very hard for me if it if the smells were not appealing to me, I guess you could say. So, um, the same thing with loud noises. Okay, so going back to smells, like if when you're, when you're with a dude or a person... There are smells around the body when when you're doing things. So, like, how do you, can you navigate, like, what if the dude's area smells a certain way and your body says no? Do you have to be like, I can't because ADHD is telling me no right now? Probably, well, in the past for me, because of a sexual shame, I think the smells of sex were more bothersome just because... I didn't, I hadn't learned that actually, oh, that's hot. You know, it's our natural smells and stuff like that. I generally like all the smells now. However, if somebody smells like body odor, yeah, I would, I would have to be like, can we move this to the shower? And that's probably what I would do. <laughs> I mean, I think I would do the same thing. I think I'd be like, oh, okay. Like, and because, it, well, because in gay, in, in queer male culture, like smell and smelling musky and smelling like quote unquote a man is really a thing. And I can imagine for like some some male identified people living with ADHD, that's probably super overwhelming. Oh, it totally could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if you're with somebody who is wearing lots of lots of fragrances, that would probably be very hard for yeah. sure. And I mean, even not like no. What I was saying was like even not wearing fragrances, like just having the male smell. If yeah. like body odor is a thing, your ADHD triggers. Like, I can imagine queer men being like, okay, but I can't say that because it's, I'm supposed to be into this, but I'm not. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it, that's one thing that's really important about having a partner or partners who respect that these things are not personal. You know, that you can say, this is just, this isn't about you, this is just, I mean, that's something I've gotten to the practice of doing is saying, because when, like with sounds, for example, if if I'm in the car and my partner is listening to the radio, I can't hear him talking. At this, like if he's talking to it, everything is equally loud to me. So it's like he's talking on top of all these other voices and I can't handle it. So I will like turn off the radio. And I used to just either sit there trying to not be resentful because rationally I'm like, people talk while the radio's on. Isn't that something people do? I can't do it. And so, and it also, it used to make me feel very un appreciated because I'm like why is that person 
having the radio on when they could be talking with me. You know, it took me a while to understand that, but actually I've been able to now say things like, you know, this is the way that my brain functions. If I'm hearing music over here and this over here, it's all in my head at the same time at equal volume. And then my partner's like, oh, wow, that sounds not comfortable. We totally don't have to listen to this right now, you know, and then it's fine. But you have to be able to have those conversations. And it starts with self-understanding because if you don't know, that's why you just feel kind of bitchy. <laughs> so like does, you know, because some, some people that I've slept with want to have music on during the sex. And I feel very similarly to you, like, shouldn't you be focusing on the sounds I'm making? Why do you want to have music on? I want, like, shouldn't we be focusing <laughs> on, like, each other? So if a partner said to you, like, I want to put the radio on during sex, would you feel similarly to how you were in the car? It would depend on the music. If it was music that I felt like was erotic in some way, I think I would like it. But if it was music I didn't like, then, yeah, no. <laughs> I would. I don't think I could handle that. And And I also am like... What's wrong with the sounds that we're making? I think I think that's I think sex sounds are awesome. Yeah, somebody recently was like, "Let me put the let me put a mix on." So they put a mix on, and we're we're doing stuff. And I I kept having to be like, "Why isn't this person focusing on me? Maybe they are, but I can't focus on this person with this with this music on right now." Yeah, yeah, that's completely how it is for me. Yeah. It's really it's super distracting. Um, <laughs> tell me about. You talked earlier about how you got you get lost a lot, and you've told me that this sometimes can lead to some really interesting meal concoctions for you. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, so I get lost a lot, and I also can't follow directions very well, um, like written out directions. Oh, okay, because yeah. the way you put it in the questionnaire, I was like, how does her getting lost? Oh, driving meet? directions. I was thinking. like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, so both of those things are true. But in the case of, so when I was not taking my medication a few years ago, I kept trying to find some way to to make food <laughs> that, that I could could manage. And I was trying some of those different meal services where they send you the ingredients. It's like, supposed to be easy. Hello like fresh. They, yeah. Yeah, like those things. Oh my gosh, it would take me hours and I'd be like, I couldn't follow because it's like a big, long, darn page of words. And I couldn't, I couldn't follow it, and it, it would start making me so frustrated to the point of tears at some points. And no matter what I did, I would end up with something that I was not supposed to make. So, like, I'd be trying to make sandwiches, and it turned into soup. I mean, literally, that's how wow, you know, extreme. Um, I'm much better at cooking when I just improvise. Like, just give me some things, and I'll just mix it together and make something. Um, it, it is a little bit better when, I, when I'm taking medication. I can kind of manage it. I usually have to read it out loud. But even then, I have to – like, what happens if I'm still and I'm trying to read, like, I'll, this one sentence breaks and just keeps going over and over again. <laughs> so I, I inevitably miss steps. And uh, so I've made some really strange things. Sometimes it turns out good, and sometimes you're just like, let's order pizza. <laughs> Pizza's always a nice go-to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last thing I want to ask you about, because I loved how this is the last thing you put on your on your questionnaire. Tell me about how empowering and strengthening it is to have your diagnosis embraced by somebody and not shamed. Because I think people need to hear this. We don't hear this enough. So tell me all about that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I can't even say enough about this. My, my partner, I told you about an ex who was very judgmental my current partner is the opposite he's so 
loving. And as soon as he under, he understands and wants to listen and ask questions. And he has seen the effects of me being on or off the medication. And it's just a completely different experience. And instead of feeling like there's this unfixable thing, I instead feel so embraced and allowed to be myself. Like I can breathe. It's so refreshing. Um, and I think it's, you know, in a different scenario, if I had gone off my medication in 2016, the relationship would not have lasted for sure. Um, our relationship was strained because of it, but that was because of, in my mind, I thought everything was falling apart. He didn't, he didn't think so. Um, but we couldn't thrive. But for, he was the first person I, I went to when I said, oh my gosh, like I'm in the middle of the night Googling all these weird terms trying to figure out what's going on with me. And I just landed on this page about, you know, ADHD. And I'm thinking that's the, the common denominator. Like that's what I, there what, it is. Why did it, it is. And we like, we're so excited together instead of having somebody judge me for feeling like I need this medication. He was like, that's wonderful. You know, I'm, he, he just wished that he'd been able to see it sooner. Um, but I certainly don't blame him for it because you're always trying so hard to seem okay that yeah. <laughs> a lot of the symptoms are hidden. You don't want to hurt people's feelings. And when you're in a happy, overall healthy relationship and you're thinking about death all the time, it's a hard thing to bring up to say, yeah. I'm really struggling. And I tried, but I didn't... I didn't say enough, I don't think. And um, to have him be so supportive of me just made me feel so validated. It's like other people can judge me all over the place, but at least my inner circle. And the same thing with like my close friends and and family. I, I feel so welcomed by them that the stigma beyond that doesn't get to me so much. That's awesome. Do you? I'm, I'm just curious. Do you have any advice for young people who may be struggling with ADHD and who don't know they have it and who, are, who may be like Googling stuff and not and having questions about their sexuality and like dis like the disability part of the ADHD like what would you now that you've gone through all the stuff that brought you here what would you offer to young people with ADHD or with invisible disabilities like that I would do whatever you can to seek support from a professional who has expertise in this because when you Google, you could find some really quality resources. And if you are somebody who has kind of knowledge around how to sort that stuff out, then the internet can be a great place. But there's so much stigma and so many, you know, there can be a lot of misleading information too, especially yeah. if you just go to some public, if you go on Facebook and you're like, I think I might have ADHD. I think we should be able to say those things without people judging, but you're going to get people saying, take this herb or why don't you just um, you meditate? Why don't, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's all these people who get all this advice and, and people saying, Oh, ADHD is not a real thing. Did you know it's not a diagnosis in such and such country and all this stuff? And that's not helpful. So um, if you don't have access yourself, I mean, go to Planned Parenthood, go somewhere where you can get, free or low cost care where you can talk to somebody. My diagnosis happened when I was, I started craving really intensely diet pills. And I couldn't figure out why because I did not want to lose weight. I was past the eating disorder, but my brain wanted these stimulants. 
And I hadn't realized that my, I had been addicted to diet pills previous to that. And I just felt like I knew something was off. So I went into a therapist and she started asking me these questions. I was like, oh my gosh, how do you, did you read my diary? Like, how do you know all this stuff about me? And she said, I'd like to test you for ADHD. And it's a, there was like a 100 question test and she did some analysis with me. And it was very obvious, you know, as I'm taking the test, I'm like, there was no question um, <laughs> off the charts. Um, it, it was, it was validating even taking that. But then um, she told me, you know, you think you need to see a psychiatrist. And so I, I think starting with somebody who really knows that can be really, really helpful. And then being selective about who you talk to about it. Um, if somebody does not believe you and does not support you, that's not about you. That's about them. Go yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Until you find someone who will be supportive because it's so destructive to have someone not believe you. So find, find that support. Um, and do you, th I don't know. I want to ask some, I was curious as you were talking, is there a way that you think, your ADHD has enhanced your sex? I do, yeah, because I am a really passionate person. And I think it might have partly to do with the fact I've never struggled with orgasm because I'm just like, I want to go. <laughs> you know, like I just, I embrace that medicinal part of it. So amid all that sexual shame, I also was getting this, this medicine, like, it was something that I knew I embraced. So even though I thought I was like this quote bad girl for being, I was like, I must be the only teenager in Minnesota having sex. Yeah, not true, I'm sure. <laughs> not even close. There's not much to do out there. So, <laughs> you know, it's cold. We gotta stay warm. There's oh. it's farming country, and I mean, there's a lot of murder podcasts that come out of there, though. It's true. And if you're gonna choose between sex and murder, I recommend sex. I mean, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree totally. Yeah. Um, this was such a fun chat. I could sit with you for another hour and talk. This was great. Um, how do people get a hold of you? How can they follow your stuff? Thank you, Andrew. This has been awesome. So you can head to augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. And I host a podcast called Girl Boner Radio that you are going to be appearing on, Andrew. I'm so excited so about excited. that. Can't even wait. So fun. So you can find that on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And then I have a pretty new book out called Girl Boner and you can find that on Amazon or wherever books are sold and you can also pre-order Girl Boner Journal which is like a workbook for sexual empowerment it has lots of exercises and I actually have a section in there it's kind of the first public place that I have written about going off my medication and um, because I really wanted to put that message out there because it was so destructive for me and just to say you know if you're going through a dark time you can find your way out and, and there should be no stigma around it. That's great. And I'm really, I really think that what you're doing, and I'm, I'm so thankful that you came on because we don't talk about this enough. And again, until this conversation, I didn't know, I didn't really consider ADHD part of sex and now I totally will. So thank you so much for bringing that to light today. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you for the work you do. You're so awesome. Thank you. You too. We'll talk very soon. Okay, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I am, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening to this program and for shining a bright light on sex and disability with me today. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my website, www.andrewgerza.com. You can also follow me on the Twitter, at Andrew Gerza.
You can also follow our podcast on the Twitter at DisAftDarkPod, or you can head over to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. If you're listening to this show and you're able to review us, it would be super awesome if you could leave us a five-star review about what the show means to you, why it's important, and so we can get our little show higher up on the algorithm as one of the only shows to discuss sex and disability every single week. A review from you would be super appreciated. Lastly, this show is mostly self-run, save for one or two awesome sponsors. So if you want to support Disability After Dark and help more people hear about the show and help the show keep going, you can pledge to us on our Patreon. And the address for that is patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. All one word, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. And you can pledge... As little as $1 a month, or some people have pledged as much as 50 which is amazing. Um, and you can get episodes early, bonus episodes, all that stuff for supporting the show. But that's an episode. Hope you liked it, and we'll be back next week for another episode. Thanks. Bye. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Cripple Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019.